Hi, listeners. I want to tell you about a cause that I'm involved with at Heritage Radio Network. HRN is celebrating its 15th year, and to celebrate, we're deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Welcome to Wheels Off, a show about the messy reality of the creative life. I'm Rhett Miller. That's when it got wheels off. We started up and we ain't gonna stop. Oh, sound like you like it or not. That's when it got wheels off. Ben Acker is my guest on this episode of Wheels Off. He is a fantastic writer who, along with his writing partner, Ben Blacker, created the Thrilling Adventure Hour, which is a stage show and podcast done in the style of old-time radio. It's simultaneously incredibly current, but very classic and old-timey. It traffics in tropes, but subverts them in a way that makes it always surprising and always funny. Ben Acker is both of those things in real life. Surprising and funny. He is one of my favorite people in the world. And full disclosure is that the conversation you're about to hear us have as part of Wheels Off is pretty much the conversation he and I have had for years. How do you write? What is funny? How do you make a living doing this weird thing that we love but is also quite complicated and difficult? It's fun to talk about this with him because... He always puts his money where his mouth is. He works hard. He studies his craft. He puts in the hours every single day. That inspires me about him. The other thing about him that inspires me is his positive attitude. I mean, he's he's not a Pollyanna. He's not fraudulently happy all the time. But he does approach his work and his life and his friendships with such a positivity that the word infectious doesn't even do it justice. It fundamentally alters the air around him, the feeling in the room. People love to be around Ben. I mean, you look at the list of um, actors and uh, writers and singers and performers that have come through the thrilling adventure hour, and you see you know, a murderer's row of some of the most talented people working in all the fields of the business. And there's a reason they want to work with Ben, because he's so great at his job and because he makes it so fun. All of that he brings to the conversation you're about to hear. 
we sat down in the dining room of his apartment in Hollywood. And as I said, we had the same conversation that we have when there are no microphones on. And I'm really glad that you get to eavesdrop on it because I feel like I'm selfish when I just take all of Ben for myself. So here I am sharing him with the world. Please welcome to Wheels Off, the great Ben Acker. Welcome to Wheels Off, Ben Acker. Thanks, Fred. I'm excited to be here. I love having you here. I'm not going to pretend that you're not one of my favorite people slash best friends that I will acknowledge right up front. I acknowledge it right back at you, buddy. <laughs> and and um, I'm a big dumb fan of your show. I think you are the one person I will have interviewed. You're, I think you're my 25th, 26th interview to do. I think you're the one person that's actually listened to a lot of the episodes of it. Probably. And you're such a writer that I was you're jo- such a- I was I was joking with you ahead of time that you you could have scripted out all of your responses. I thought about it. I'm so glad you did but it. But it's antithetical and, to your project. Yeah. <laughs> um I nearly did. I drafted one in my head and then I like let it go. So I had some help punching up my first question recently from a friend of mine. Yeah. And I've used this newly punched up version a couple of times in recent interviews. How'd it go? Well, pretty well, I'll tell you this. So my first question is uh what creative project are you working on right now, and how does it light you up? Rhett, thank you for asking. <laughs> uh, right today, this very day, uh, I am at the back end of writing one of the iterations, like the, we call it a fatty outline, of uh, my first action movie. Oh. Yeah, it's... um. It's really, it's, it's, it's a new thing. I haven't done anything in that, in that vein really. Like, I haven't done an action movie before. I've written comics and I've written, like, movie scripts and stuff. But, like, this one is, it's a, diff- it's a different animal. And what lights me up about it is applying the things that I think of, applying the way I think about story and character to a whole different milieu. Did I use milieu correctly? You tell me. But I, but I feel <laughs> uh, like... Can we get people to call it? <laughs> I feel like you've worked in what people call like genre. Yes. Before. Yes. So this is not that far off brand for you. But it's a whole new set of um, signifiers and, and uh, what are the things? It's not signifiers. It's uh, No, I think signifiers yeah. is right on the money. Uh, like um, tropes. Yeah. Tropes is what it is. Let's say um, signifiers and and tropes and tropes. Yeah. By the way, right now we're in Ben Acker's Hollywood apartment. Well, it's Los Feliz. It's oh, a little. It? It's cool. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. No, it's all right. <laughs> I mean, Hollywood gets it across to the to the people who don't know the difference. To the people who know the difference. Yeah, it's Los Feliz. It's inside. Let's not kid ourselves. Yeah. But um, so you'll hear his neighbors going down the stairs outside the open window. On it's one a fourplex. Side, and you'll hear you'll hear Stephen. Um, the sweet dog, you heard your name, clomping around, and I don't think he's going to bark anymore because he apparently realized that You're I am not a threat. <laughs> so anyway, I just wanted to set the scene for people. So I really... Uh, l- audience Steven with a PH, not with a V. Oh, just yeah. So you're aware. That would be stupid. Right, that's, a, that's a terrible name for a dog. <laughs> Steven with a V. Come on. I once knew I once knew this crazy old punk rock guy that used to follow around bands in Chicago, and um, and... When I was introduced to him, they said, um, oh, Rhett, this is dog. And I said, oh, dog. Do you spell that D-A-W-G? And he goes, 
No, that would be stupid. (laughs) (laughs) Like Olivier talking to Hoffman. Oh, my dear boy. That would be insipid. I'm like, okay. It's a (laughs) D-O-double-G, obviously. I love the idea of you writing a... um, like an action adventure movie, and it, it uh, opened up in me like this isn't profound, but like I love a Jackie Chan. Like yeah. I grew up with that kind of uh, action thing. So like it's and Buster Keaton is yeah. also in my head when I'm writing it. So there's like stuff I I really like getting to play with in this thing, and it, and it ultimately gets to be about characters and relationships. Like it's it's really fun. And, and one of the reasons I'm really excited to talk to you, among so many others, is that you have um, a relationship with a co-writer that I think is unlike anybody I've really um, interviewed for this. You do you collaborate constantly yes. um, with Ben Blacker, who's been your co-writer since college. Since right after college. Right after college. Yes. And, um, and you guys work together all the time on all sorts of things. Almost everything. Almost exclusively. Mm-hmm. And I just, I think that's so fascinating. I mean, I guess I and a lot of people in music end up doing a lot of collaboration. But because what you do, I have always imagined one person sitting in one room on one typewriter or whatever writing this. That's not how you do it. That's so, how we do it. We tend to sit in separate rooms with our typewriters, which are computers. But, but, but we break everything together. That's what I wanted to hear about. So with this story, you had but the idea. other people, other writing teams, some of them like stand in the same room together and yeah. take turns on the keyboard. And uh, I just made a say face for those. Yeah. That sounds weird to be like, oh, let me on the keyboard now. Like, let me at them. I've done that. It's, <laughs> it, it's exciting because at its core, ideally writing has an improvisational aspect to it. Yeah. And so tagging in when someone's like, got it, uh-huh. is can be very exciting. But we've been at it a while, and it's the best use of our time to like figure it out together, and then one or the other go off and, and write and toto. But that, but that's I didn't mean to answer a question you're not asking. This but no, but I don't. I am. I wanted to hear about the figuring it out together, i.e., the breaking of stories. Mm-hmm. And for, I just I since I've been friends with you, learned about breaking a story, which is where you'll sort of talk through mm-hmm. and work out like the broad strokes of a piece. You figure out everything. You figure everything. Yeah, like the nuts and bolts of what the story is that you're going to tell um, is there and kind of how you're going to tell it. Like you have the opportunity to like put two brains on a thing and go, uh-huh. all right, so what's how does it get from point A to point B? And, and oh, what if this? And that necessitates these elements. Like it's, um, does that, yeah. that make sense? Um, is there a list like you kind of go through like, okay, well... What's going to get him to this next beat? Or no. what's going to resolve the conflict? No, it's it's finding character stuff and story stuff. Like, the perk of working in genre is there's a lot of tropes set yeah. for you. So, like, you know, if we come in with a vampire story, and then it's like, but our take on vampires is they're all whatever. Yeah. Uh, double vampires. They're all vampires who vampired other vampires. And now they're <laughs> hiding out from vampire cops. Uh, and vampire A and B is after the vampire cops. So now we have these two groups and we're going to come at them, right? And then Blacker will go, yeah, but what's that about? <laughs> like, what is the story you're telling? He's uh, lately has been very like, what What in you are you trying to say? Or what about the world are you trying to say? He's He's being real concrete about the art of it all. Is that an evolution of your dynamic? Mm-hmm. 
I wonder what that's about. Like, what? What? I mean, is he is he just grown to the point as a writer where he really knows? Like, I kind of want to know the underlying story. Yeah, I think it's it's a it's a it's. I think that we spent so long playing with character and genre mm-hmm. in. Uh, we did a stage show in the style of old time radio called the Thrilling Adventure Hour that was, you know, cowboys and robots and that kind of thing. And like clever turns, theoretically, ideally clever turns yeah. on horror tropes or whatever. Um, and so it was about, you know, getting to the thing and then defying expectation yeah. and having a twist and, and having great actors selling these things at a premium. Yeah. So, and that was like a real, I feel like we were, pulp writers like it was yeah. deadline 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 like let's get this out and this is good and this has the like the um the feel the texture of raw um elevated sketch because we do a bunch of passes and there's beginning middle and end so it's not quite what what you get from a sketch which is uh-huh. rougher necessarily um but it was like i don't know it was rock and roll Right. And then now as we're taking more time with more things and we're, we're devoting our, our time largely to things that if they were to go, we'd spend years of our life. Like whether it's drafting a movie takes a long time or getting a TV show on the air. It's like we'd have to live with that thing. And so it has to. And in order to like justify its place in the world, it's gotta be something only we could do. So it's, it's gotta be a thing that touches us creatively that way yeah. and he's the he's always been like at his core a structure guy so he's like well what's the thing and i feel like i operate more out of intuition where i'm like the thing will be there because we're writing it like yeah. it's necessarily going to have our voice and our interests but like in order to make characters that work from month like from episode to episode if that's the way you're going they have to be rich enough to have to be multifaceted, they have to like contain enough um, humanity in them, such that they're not just built for the one plot that they're in. They can they can grow and change and be perfect for the story of a person. Yeah, does that make sense? Yeah. So I love this movie, but I feel like you usually when we talk, you have a handful of things that you're working on. Do you like to juggle? Do you like to? Have multiple things going on at once? I can't not just like the life I live. Yeah. Like we we are taking out some TV shows. We're writing these movies. Each of us is writing a movie right now. Yeah. And it is a constant refrain of like, I hope that one of these goes so that it can be the only thing that mm-hmm. I'm doing. And then I think, well, also I do, I do that yeah. on the side and then like see how that's going. So it's because I don't know if this is a thing. But for us, for me, for me, Blacker has a better work-life balance, but for me, work is play. Like, you know, you come in here and sometimes we'll write a song. Yeah. Like, that's that's so fun. It's not a chore and it's not like, let's figure out where this song goes. It's like, look, my friend is here. Let's, Let's play. It's fun to make things. It's fun to make things. And I, and I love that. I, I wonder if why that's one of, uh, I wonder if that's one of the reasons that you were drawn at a really early age to being a collaborator, like to ha- always having someone that you co-wrote with. Mm-hmm. Because I, 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 so many writers are drawn to the loneliness of writing, like mm. as a big part of the appeal of it. Oof. But not for you, right? No. Um, no, my, my origins, like I, there was, I remember, I want to say vividly, but 
That might be hyperbole. I remember as a child going to a book fair, getting a book that was illustrated but with no words in it. And like it was about a cat who like walked into a painting or something like that. And it was like, we invite you to write this story, you know? And I was like, yeah. And I don't know what I wrote or if I wrote very much, but like that's the first time I remember like writing a thing. Yeah. Um, but in high school, I was a big kids in the hall fan and a big comics fan. And I met a friend of mine named Dan who was like, like we were, Formative in each other's creative development. Like yeah. We were like two uh, non-structure guys going, yeah. how about this big bombastic idea for a movie? How yeah. about this for a comic book? How about that? Like we wrote plays for class, for drama class. We wrote like in science class, rather than do a report on Mercury, we did a little short film about oh, it, yes. like a little variety show yeah. uh, in a film. And uh, like that was, yeah, collaboration and like, Getting it up on its feet. I'm a yeah. big fan. Well, you anticipate my next question, which is about your origin story, as they say in the comic book world. Sure. Um, are you familiar with that world? Just kidding. So, um, <laughs> oh, I read that. Oh, I read that. So, um, so did you always know? I mean, from no. that moment with that picture book, did you always know you wanted to be a writer? No. I, in high school, and I've said this before on Janet Vardy's podcast, I think is where I realized it. Is that, Wait, you've been on other people's, but just, just the one, <laughs> um, just to prep for this. I was like, how is it being on an interview podcast? No, I realized that when I was in high school, I wanted to, when I want, what I wanted to be when I grew up was a kid in the hall. Yeah. So writing that kind of comedy stuff to also perform was the thing. And then in college, I remember I was, I went to Syracuse university. I was in the art school where they had Two film, two different kinds of film majors, film art and film drama. Film art was like if you wanted to be a cinematographer mm-hmm. and film drama was if you wanted to be like a actor or director, more a director. But, and they like, it was different, um, electives. Like, are you going to take an acting class? Or are you going to take a photography class? Yeah. Kind of a thing. And I remember being in an acting class and like, I enjoyed acting. I enjoyed doing that high school theater stuff. Uh huh. Um, and being in the class and doing a scene and feeling like close to it, uh-huh. like where like, and the teacher was like, oh, if you like just commit this thing, like if you just go four inches to the left in your heart with this, you'll be an actor. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, mm. but also you'd have to do it take after take or night after night. And like, that feels like a real craft and that, uh, and I, I didn't, it wasn't the thing. And I, at the same time, was writing stuff and seeing my stuff performed well lit me up where, like, the thing in high school of being on stage and, like, getting the laughs and doing the thing, like, it was that same adrenaline, like, same ego, same, same rush or more. It was like, let the people who want to spend all that time doing that thing do that thing. And let me be the guy that gets the feeling from giving them the thing to do. Yeah. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it reminds me of um, when I very first met you and we and we had, um, <laughs> we were on the side of the stage. We had a meet cute. It was, it was. It was like my favorite of all my friends, meet cute. So before the moment of this story, uh-huh. uh, I was writing for the, ra- the proper radio show Wits. Yes. And I was also writing my stage show, The Thrilling Adventure Hour. And we decided to have a crossover. Yeah. 
And so it meant bringing two of the actors, Paul F. Tompkins and Patrick Brewster, from the Thrilling Adventure Hour all the way to uh, Minnesota, where they, where they recorded Paul, Minnesota. Twin Cities, St. Paul, where they recorded the Wits program to do this crossover. Uh, also, Weird Al was going to be on, yeah. uh, but Weird Al was not going to perform without his band present. So the host, John Moe, said, uh, look at our list of musicians uh, and see if there's anybody you want to do the show, and we'll ask them. And I had spent my formative years at Largo. I was a giant Rhett Miller fan, yes. as was Blacker. And we were like, you know, we love him from afar, but have never met him. And so, yes, Rhett Miller is the only ask. And John said, great, because he also loves the Rhett Miller. So the call was made, and Rhett joined in, and we wrote stuff for him. And Oh, my God, it was so good. It was so much fun to write for Rhett. And so also my first thing I ever wrote for Wits uh, was a sketch, a Charlie Brown sketch. And it was fine. I was new. They, I was new to them, and they were new to me. And the idea of coming in and having Paget Brewster, who's been saying my words for nigh on a decade at that point, to like do it perfect, yeah, was too appealing an opportunity to pass up. So, oh, they're doing the sketch. So Paget plays Lucy, and Paul Tompkins. No, 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 sorry. John Mo. Oh, John. It Mo. was his show. Oh, of course, it was. So John Mo plays Charlie Brown, <laughs> and 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 so. Uh, Lucy's trying to coax Charlie Brown into kicking the football, and it's you can this, watch it on YouTube. If yeah, you, if you I, YouTube I highly Google recommend it. Paget Brewster and Charlie Brown, you'll find. But it. The, the reason I start to describe it is only that it's this funny thing that I think really um, encapsulates your oeuvre perfectly because it's really, really funny, but it's also really sweet. So I was sitting on the side of the stage next to this big guy I didn't know, and I'm and I was laughing. I'm 6'6", six, six, everybody. He's 6'6". Six, six. Um, and also like, kind of larger than life, um, personality-wise. So uh, so anyway, I was kind of laughing, and then I felt myself kind of getting teared up at the plight of Charlie Brown, as he just can't ever figure out how to, you know, and then uh, it's, it's, go it's watch twists it. twists and turns. It's a it's, little Tyler durden It's really beautiful, this, this sketch. Thanks, bud. Anyway, so as I'm like laughing and dying over there, um, Ben leans into my ear and whispers, I wrote that. I was like, this is where Rhett and I become friends. Or enemies. If he was like a real librarian about it, he's going to be like, shh. But I was like, I think this is a gamble that's going to pay off. Uh, I just, I love that because I really do think that speaks to something fundamental in you that not only do you sort of, um, you own your talent. In a way that I think a lot of people are scared of mm-hmm. um, or, or apologetic about. But I also think you make a point to really enjoy what you do and uh, like all the way up and down the line, you enjoy making it. Like what we've written a few songs mm-hmm. together for Thrilling and then um, just we have so much fun mm-hmm. writing those songs. But then also seeing them through to their performance, um, you know, they're being unleashed on the world. I think that you really enjoy that and mm-hmm. you see the sort of... Um, you're putting something good out into the world, and that's like an inherently noble thing. Oh, thanks, Bob. But I do. I think you appreciate that in a way that a lot of people don't. And, and just the you you saying that to me, I thought was like the perfect example of that. But so all that. Yeah, it's fun. It's fun. Like yeah. I read a thing. I read a piece called the. I think it's called the Horrible Truth About Understanding Comics, and it is <laughs> by a guy named James Kochalka, who is a comic artist and writer. And it was this like real light. Um, 
it was one issue of comic and it was uh, he he draws himself as a, a long-eared elf uh, but it's not dungeons and dragons or anything like that it's kind of just like a magical realism uh, that he applies to his daily life he did a, a year he did years of a, a four-panel daily web autobio comic strip called American Elf that was just like slices of his day uh, that gave you just a real sense of who he was and what he was about. And so in this comic, he's kind of just meditating about the nature of art as he dreams of like being on the moon and kicking a rock and seeing how far it goes. Like nothing happens. It's real just like his voice, which is like joyful and meditative. And, and it was, and it was a, like what his notion of what art is as distinct from like illustration. Uh, comics art specifically, but it really spoke to me. And I called a friend of mine, Evan Larson. I called him up mm-hmm. and it was like, you gotta grok this man. Like, and I, I read it a little bit, like a page of it out loud. And to say it out loud, it was really dense, but it, it, to read it was just really light. All this to say that for him, the ideal, like the nature of art is play. Like the difference between someone doing a photorealistic drawing of a truck. And a little kid drawing a truck is the lack of concern for verisimilitude. And it's about like the, the joyful parsing of the world that is play and creation. Like a kid drawing is just having fun, but he's also like interpreting the world in his unique or her unique perspective. Right. And that's, I don't know. That spoke to me. Like the idea, and and at the time, I think I was already doing Thrilling Adventure Hour and realizing that yeah, the fun of it was the collaboration between us and the actors, and that like it was it was fun in every direction. Like it was fun to give them the stuff to do. It was fun for them to do it. It was fun for the audience to see them do it. Like the whole um, food chain of it. Like fun was at the core of it. There's and there's something also that we aspire to in our writing, Blacker and I at least, which is hum- to to imbue whatever we're doing, whoever the characters are, whatever it is, to make sure that they have humanity. You know, like there's so much functional writing where characters are going through the important plot and they yeah. don't breathe or they don't think about like. I shouldn't uh, position this as what people don't do. This is the thing that we like to do is to have characters that have a rich emotional and intellectual life that are necessarily like two ingredients of what else is going on. And that's how we walk through the world. And there's something fun about seeing a character, no matter what the story and genre and everything is to, to see that they have humanity too, to see that they like, you know, can be crashing into the whatever, but stub their toe. And it's about this thing for a moment. Like there's, there's joy in, in what connects us. Well, it's funny to hear even, uh, to hear now, you talk. I had a lot of coffee. Is that? I love it. To hear you talk about tropes. I mean, it's like you, obviously you're really aware of it. You use mm-hmm. these things, but, but you're making sure that as you people your stories mm-hmm. with, like you need these people to do things mm-hmm. in the stories to make the story move and to make the conflicts and stuff. But you are making sure that they're people and not just they're oh checking you're not they're taking not functions of the thing. Yes. Yeah. I, love, I like yeah, I love that. I, and I think that really comes through. But so. But you, it's interesting to see it not to turn the the thing around, but like I feel like you're doing that too as you're writing songs. Like the specificity 
that is either the humanity of the narrative that you're laying down or your humanity as comes through the song. Like there's so much in what you do that is like, this is a love song. There's no reason to bring a crayon into it, you know, <laughs> like, and that's, you know, yeah, like there's, there's humanity up and down what you're doing. Well, it's just, it's, it's funny, verisimilitude uh-huh. that you talked about. I, I think it's all that, right? It's just trying to be honest. And, and if you're, I guess, if you're peopling your songs with characters whose sole purpose is to do the thing that you need them to do in the song to make the story move, it's almost like you're, it's, it's almost like it's, um, like it's a cynical mm-hmm. thing where you're just like, okay, I gotta get done with this. I gotta, I gotta turn this song in and get paid. Or, but it comes back to the blacker question is what's it about? What's it about? He's a real good Jimmy Cricket to work with. Yeah. <laughs> and God, he's so good at it. Like, He's so good at it. It's funny. Well, I think, I mean, I think about you guys and how complimentary you are. You say you're both working on movies right now. Each of us are working on a movie. That's right. You are each working on a movie right now. But will those become Blacker, Acker? Oh, yeah, yeah. We broke them together. So, okay. So, and so now you're both, you're both working on sort of the first draft yes. of a thing and then you'll swap, basically? Yeah. Well, the way we're doing it now is different than the swap. Yeah. We're going to swap them. But we are going to give each other notes yeah. on what has come and then give them back. Yeah. So each of us will take the thing that we're doing from the original outline all the way through to the last draft that we'll take out into the world. Ah. So, so yeah, there's more ownership and authorship and, and we're, f- and that's not the way we've worked traditionally, yeah. but in the past like year or so, um, We've landed there. We don't talk a lot about like the details of how we work together. Yeah. It's just someone will be like, I want to do this. And the other will be like, all right, or, eh, or whatever. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and it feels like it's an evolution of thing that like, I don't know, it's exciting to get a thing that like really is meaningful to Ben and go, all right, I'm going to just make sure that this, I'm going to kick the tires of this yeah. in every direction that I have, Challenge. but I'm going to try and leave it as alone as I can, Yeah, you know, and I let like it, and, and let him, you know, when we talk about it, I'm there to support him, yeah. but he's taking the lead on it. You know, this is like his baby. And if it turns into a thing, if it turns into a TV show, right, we'll figure out what that relationship is there. But like for now, it's cool. Yeah. It's cool. It's funny. It's come up a lot in these conversations, the idea of external accountability, like someone who is, you know, like, where's the thing you told me you were going to finish it this week? Mm -hmm. Or, you know, or or even like in terms of quality control, you know, I just, I wonder like how crucial uh, this kind of a partnership is, this kind of a collaborative um, relationship is in in terms of someone whipping you into shape, constantly keeping you Well, we've, you know, we've lived with deadlines that's true. For a decade. Like a monthly show every month. You you talking about this reminds me of Lawrence Block in his book, um, Writing the Novel, where he talks about in his early days having to write on deadline. He calls them, and I, I hope I wouldn't get it. He calls it um, lesbian soft porn. That's okay. what Lawrence Block called it. All right. This was the 70s. I didn't make that up. But so he's writing on. What does that mean? Why does he call it that? Well, because, you know, it was pre-internet. Was that what he was writing? That's what he was writing. Okay. So it's he, not like the act of having a deadline. Is oh, no. Somehow <laughs> it's not a lesbian metaphor. soft porn. No, it's literally. Well, I'll tell you, the, the great thing about having a deadline, if you like lesbian soft porn, is 
<laughs> Deadlines are like lesbian soft porn. No, no, no. Following ways. No, he was literally writing for that genre of uh-huh. literature, which at sure. the time existed. Right, great trust. And no longer, no longer does. But so he would be know, like, that you know of, or, or or you know, or Elmer Leonard talking about writing for the pulp yeah. rags. So, but it's these, but it's so much, and and I wonder if you guys. I wonder if you even realized that you were doing this. But so when you were spending ten years writing Thriller Adventure Hour mm-hmm. in the style of old time radio, mm-hmm. where you're using all these all this genre stuff and all these tropes, and you're working on such a strict deadline, mm-hmm. it's, it's it felt like being a pulp writer. It's that's what I'm saying in, in in the best way, like in that like what what a great writer to be. Yeah, like it it's uh, good is the enemy of no perfect, perfect is the is enemy, enemy of good. But also, like, let's get this as perfect as we can. Yeah. You know? Like, it's, we're gonna, but it's, you know, curtains up, people. God, I wonder if, I mean, you invented a system whereby you had to work under the guidelines and using the kind of the, the tropes and the medium that so many of my favorite writers did by necessity in the 50s and 60s or whatever. Mm-hmm. The Elmer Leonard's and Lawrence Blocks. But, God, I wonder if there's a way someone listening to this right now who wanted to write could force themselves into a situation similar to this. Look, it's what I know, but like when people talk about like, how do I, whatever, how do I start? How do I do it? Whatever. There's no bar for entry for podcasts. You know, like you can, all you got to do is go to whatever replaced Radio Shack and buy a recorder. (laughs) Um, It's called Amazon. It's called Amazon. Yeah. And they are this week's sponsor. (laughs) Just kidding. But the thing is like, (laughs) if you... The the other thing, and I think I already touched on it, is like stuff is better in the world than on your hard drive. You're going to learn from actors saying the words, and and you can find actors, or you can be the actor, like or you can tell a first person story. But like if you set yourself up with deadlines and a recording device and and a story that you want to tell, so you, you say can do it. So 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 they they this per, this hypothetical young writer who whatever, mm-hmm. even if they're, they're a prose writer, yeah, right that. Put out a chapter a week, chapter a month, whatever your deadline is. Like, for some people, YouTube was a great, like, we're going to get our friends in a camera and make shorts. And that's great. If you want to do on-camera stuff, like, that's available to you. Yeah. But if it's if it's about honing the craft of, you know, writing, sure, if you have access. It's, it's, a, it's a bigger ask for everybody involved to memorize things and do a bunch of takes and that and and do the on camera stuff where podcasting is just a thing anyone can do yeah and it's about the doing the thing more than cultivating an audience god that's brilliant i mean it, i mean it's not it, it is what you guys did and you did it on stage and, and we did it on stage and we went back like we did it on stage for five years before we started recording them and putting them out are you kidding there's five years worth of thrillings that were never captured they were some of them were captured a little bit and we put those out sometimes like as a but some of them were like i mean like when we started the second iteration when we start when we moved to mbar from mbar to largo yeah it was let's go back and start from this one and apply five years of education from doing the thing like the we don't have to put every idea in every episode what is this one about and let's start again from zero and then it and then we would have like a character that came through the thing, played by, you know, one of the cast that it was fine, it was good, it w- whatever, but then we get Busy Phillips to come in and play this character that, like, came in and came out. It was like, well, she's not going out again. We, yeah. We're keeping her. She's and great. so that changes what, the, like, the trajectory of all the stories. So it was like, let's trace these, but 
refine them to well she's in it now so yeah. how do we how do <laughs> how do the stories reflect that and and how do we you know i mean a big thing for us in getting our chops and doing the thing was not just the schedule of it the monthly yeah. aspect of it but having to write for the best actors we knew like to deserve them you know yeah. they're not they're not doing the show as a favor to us yeah. they're doing the show cuz they want to do a show which is part ways why i enjoy seeing the things because my favorite people in the world were doing them and part ways why i don't necessarily have the like um the imposter syndrome or the like what if i'm cuz the these people stayed you know like i got the external validation at the either the perfect time or the terrible time to yeah. be insufferable about it um but you know i got other uh neuroses don't worry about well, me you see you keep anticipating my questions but talk about external accountability when you've got the kind of cast that you guys have always had on yeah. thrilling i mean that's those are brilliant actors so you're Amazing. not best I mean, that's going to hold your feet to the fire in terms of making sure that everything you give them is great yeah for sure but so okay so you brought it up and i wonder about this because i i i think i would speak for most of your friends when i say that you seem like someone who goes through life really happy really enjoying things really positive um i do know you well enough to know that sometimes you struggle and i just wonder how that manifests itself for you and and what you've learned about overcoming like your your struggles your internally generated obstacles well i think that like the thing about the writing as play is the dangerous aspect of it which is it's an easy retreat from what would bum you out about life is like well if i write then i can play with these make pretend people and and because the writing is the livelihood and the like the goal it's like this is important i can justify the act of writing is important and it's um a retreat it can be a retreat from dealing with life stuff like that's the that's the monkey's paw yeah. right is like i love this thing that most people are like oh writing's so hard what was me right i like the thing so that like the other stuff can accumulate and be like we finished writing the monthly show uh after we said it a couple of times here 10 years and it was like well that was it, looking back in the first week after the first month we didn't do it, it was like oh that was hard and then going i'm 40 you know like what happened to a decade you know there was so much we worked on it so hard that it, like that that um the way that time moves when you're when the show's about to open yeah like it's just i feel like sometimes like oh i i'm ready to be 30 now yeah you know boy is that the question yeah it's just about like how Do you ever second guess yourself? Oh, I mean, sure. Do you ever I mean cuz by so many metrics you've been wildly successful. You know, but but I know like what is what is even success? I mean, the things that you've done work like they're great. The people that know them love them. Um, you know, you've been able to make a living doing this. But um but it's but it's obviously it's hard. 
And so, you know, what is it that you, what do you, what, what tricks do you use? Or that makes it sound like it's bad, but what do you do to like keep going when you're worried or when, you know, when you're like, what the fuck am I doing? All these people I went to high school with, maybe I'm giving away my own insecurities <laughs> here. All these people I went to high school with, they're like rich now. And I'm just like, oh, oh what is the other thing that's not perfect as the enemy of good, but it's comparison is the something of something. Comparison is the death of your soul. I don't something. know. <laughs> yeah. Like it's when I turned, I think it was when I turned 25 and realized that when my father was that age, I was three going like, well, my model for whatever is out the window. Yeah. Like I'm living a different life. Um, uh, like what do I do when it's, when the, the gaping maw of ennui comes tumbling in? Is that the question? Yeah, but you know what? I think maybe you just answered it. You work. Yeah. I mean, or, or, and this is the thing we talked about earlier, is like, I'm at a place now where I'm trying to figure out also who I want to be beyond the work. Mm-hmm. And so I work on myself. Yeah. Yeah. God, that's good. Um, as your friend, I will, I will support that 100%. Because... Host of As a podcast. someone who's making a ton of money off of what you do. <laughs> As the host of a podcast, I've got to tell you. This is, <laughs> this is a terrible move. <laughs> all right. Finally. Wait. That, I, all right. Okay. There's so much more. Well, the good news is you and I, I might have to have you on as a recurring guest. I'll be your, uh, uh, what was his name? Tony Randall. <laughs> when, the, when your guests cancel, call me up. Yeah, exactly. Um. If you were to go back in time and meet up with 21-year-old Ben Acker... Wait. Uh-huh. Yes. If you were not to go back in time... Right. It's now. Okay, it's now. There's a time machine. Uh-huh. And a cloning machine. <laughs> right. Sure. Standard time and clone. The old time, okay, time clone. So you, the clone comes to now, your 21-year-old Ben Acker, in today's world uh-huh. that is just rotten with social media mm-hmm. and all the well, different... That, it's an interesting question because mm-hmm. it's... I mean... It is For now. all the right reasons. Yeah. But, like, it's now... The the show. If we were starting the show, okay. Here are some of the things. Mm-hmm. If I, let me, why don't you finish your question? What advice would you give yourself? Okay, one. <laughs> it's too early and too late to tell me anything at twenty one. Okay. At sixteen, I would love to grab me and tell me coffee now, uh-huh. right? Like get the equivalent of Adderall into your system. So you kids, can, he means coffee. Coffee, right? Like kids, <laughs> if you are in high school. And you're not drinking coffee. Figure it out. Because the thing is that you will pay attention in all of your classes. You figure out how to medicate yourself with coffee. And so even the classes that are boring, it will sink in. And it would have changed everything if I got good grades across the board. Now, you know that there are studies that that kid teenagers' brains aren't equipped yet to handle even caffeine, much less uh, tobacco I'm not advocating tobacco and jewel and all that. Only if you're a cool kid. (laughs) But, like, if I had discovered coffee in high school or college, I was post-college when I got to coffee. But, speaking of post-college, 21, that's a terrible time. Like, I'm out in the world and going, what the hell? There's nothing to know. Like, there's nothing to do at 21. 25, when you, like, when your brain sets in, then I would be like, listen, here's what you need. And it's to figure, it's what I was just saying is, like, Figure out who you want to be besides this stuff. Yeah. And like, and figure out how to attack that. It's, 
the, the, a thing that I have struggled with is the work-life balance. Yeah. Right. And like, it's super easy for me to go into work. It's uh, comfortable there. Yeah. And it's like, it's, life is important and it can go by real fast. It's, and there's no do-overs. Oh. There's some do-overs. Mm-hmm. If you have a time machine. Depending. And a cloning right. machine. If you have the old TNC. <laughs> but then, like, odds are 50-50, you turn into half a fly. <laughs> Jeff Goldblum is doing pretty good. Um, or is he? <laughs> no, he's not right now. You he's, know about oh, that. He's, he's in bed. He's in, yeah. All right, let's like, as, go yeah. Um, Okay, this, it's crazy how much this comes up, though. And it's probably because, so far with these conversations, I've been speaking to people who mostly have had a lot of success and done really well and worked really hard. But almost everybody now struggles with having sacrificed so much of their early life, um, devoting, you know, time they could have spent, um, focusing on love relationships, friend relationships, Mm -hmm. and, you know, self care to just working and honing their craft. And I've got, if I've only had so many hours to get these 10,000 hours in. Right. So, Go ahead. Yeah, no, go, so, ahead. go to the end of that thought. No, but it's fa- it's it's fantastic that you bring it up because it's not something that I would necessarily have guessed, guessed with you mm-hmm. because you don't make it look like work. You make it look like play, and yet that's maybe the problem. Yeah, it's yeah, it's too comfortable. It's too fun, and it's a great time. But there's other stuff. It is in the like alone in a room of it all. You are alone in a room. Yeah, you know, get out in, into other rooms and like, you know. There, I heard of this American Life once where this uh, woman, when she was young, uh, wanted to be a federal agent. Mm-hmm. Like she loved Batman and wanted to be James Bond, right? Sure. So she wrote a list in her notebook of skills that she would need, like how to dis- disguise, how to cli- pick- climb a thing, rappel down a thing, pick a lot. Like she did this whole thing. And when she finally got to interview for the job, she was overqualified. They were like, you can't blend in. You're an Amazon. Like, you walk into a room and you're like a movie star ass kicker. Go live a life and then come back. It's a little bit like, man, that would be, that would be, I don't know. It seems a little like what an alien would do to write a list of how to be a human. Yeah. And then like check the things off. But like, there's a difference you can split. The other thing I would tell 21 year old me um, is, Living in this world that we're in now, with um, Twitter especially, mm-hmm. follow, like, learn, shut up, and learn as many other perspectives as can as you can. Like, you can follow people who live, di- walk different paths from you, listen to podcasts about them. Um, I think that the show would have been a more interesting thing if it was na- if it started now because of the respect for other perspectives. Like, then you have, yeah. then, then were available at that time without knowing that it was a thing and looking into it. So, 21-year-old me, like, follow people who have a different perspective and learn about them and, and talk to them. And, and, like, that's the wonder of the age that we're in is, like, there's so much opportunity to, like, understand other people or yeah. to want to and to, like, I don't know, be a part of everyone but so i love that so it's if i were to consolidate some of what you just said i would say Please. live a life uh-huh listen yeah 
listen. I mean, and, and this 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 comes up so much when um, talk. The, the neighborhood plane. I know. I love it. It's a Cessna. It, they're big fans. <laughs> the neighborhood taxi. Uh-huh. Um, this comes up so much that um, living in the moment, being aware, being open to the world around you right now in this moment, as opposed to living in fear of the future or mm-hmm. living in regret for the past. It's 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 it's. I mean, I guess it shouldn't surprise me that in all different creative fields, the people who um, really devote their lives to them wind up coming back to these same things, which are often shortcomings. Like you're saying, like, I wish I had known to just take a deep breath and also live a life and not only to work. I will say I admire about the way you've done it is that even though you could be described as a workaholic or whatever, you've made your work also very social because Mm -hmm. you... As much as any friend of mine, you are like the hub of this great wheel. Uh, mm-hmm. You have so many friends and people that care about you and that you care about. And you take great pains to introduce them to each other mm-hmm. and to curate friendships between your friends. And I, I just think it's, I think that that is such a great and living example of your generosity. And um, I just, I'm so glad to get to be your friend. Thanks, bud. Thanks for being on Wheels Off. Thanks for having me. All right. Thank you so much for listening to Wheels Off. Please be sure to rate and review the show on iTunes. That helps us appear higher in the search results and lets other folks know that it's a cool podcast to listen to. Also, as the kids say, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or anywhere else that you listen to shows like this so that you never miss an episode. This has been Wheels Off, and I'm Rhett Miller, encouraging you to create every day. Thanks, y'all. Hey, this is Dewey Halpas, host of Peer Pleasure on the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Join me each week as I explore another long-form conversation with one of your favorite musicians, actors, comedians, or creatives. From Chino Moreno of the Deftones, John Gorley of Portugal the Man, to Fat Mike from NoFX, and Ian Mackay from Fugazi and Minor Threat, we go all over the map. From Fallout Boy to Slayer, Peer Pleasure has it all. Check us out now on Sound Talent Media.